IV commissioned a beautifully illuminated Bible in the 14th century, one of the earliest German translations of the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Broadcasting the timeless Word of God. No matter what time it is. The Way. 101.1. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic Word as signs of the times. Should Israel be worried about Iran and Russia and Turkey growing closer? Wall Street is worried about the Federal Reserve's push for a digital dollar. And should we be worried about UFOs or immortality in these fallen bodies? Well, worried or not, these are the signs of the times. Our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, March 26th, 2021. Along with Mark Kirk, the senior pastor of Calvary Knoxville, I'm Greg Hilt, and thanks for joining us. To learn more about how to watch us or listen, just download the Way Media app or visit our website at thewaymedia.net. And this program will also be podcasted as episode 152 later on today through Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher. Pastor Mark, uh, it's a great day. I'm assuming that you are two-wheeling today. I am. Yes, yes, you're exactly right. I am in loving every bit of it. Fantastic. Whenever I get the chance, the bike's coming out. The that's bike for is, sure. It's that's, coming out. It's coming out. That's right. All right. Well, we have no questions this week, uh, which we are kind of sad about, but that's okay. Uh, but if you do have a question, well, we love them. We love <laughs> we the listener love questions. questions. But... We do. We love the listener questions. They're fantastic. Uh, and if you do have a question and you're a new listener, just visit thewaymedia.net and click on Signs of the Times, and you'll find out how to submit your question, how you can also uh, read our frequently asked questions that we do post there as well. And there is also a segment on the uh, app that I'm, on the app, I don't think it's on the website i don't remember but definitely on the app called the truth in 10 which are a lot of these questions in video format where pastor mark answers those questions in 10 minutes or less so uh let's get into our main topic and 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 as far as the religious calendar goes that's right uh we are heading into what we would call passion week right 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 Palm Sunday coming up Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, and the reason being is they everybody waving palm branches as the Lord rode in. That's why we call it Palm Sunday on uh, in the church and all. But now again, but this was not a Jewish holiday, so um, the Jews they celebrated the Passover leading up to that. But the the actual Sunday before, or the week before, that wasn't a holiday for them. This was the preparation week. So I thought what would be good to talk about this hat before we get into a lot of our major holidays. Yeah. And for the church, Palm Sunday is one, okay. uh, a celebration anyway, with holiday leading up to Easter, is to talk about it, talk about what happened, and um, and to uh, look at some of the really cool things about it. Now, if you want to get all the cool details, you have to come Sunday morning, because <laughs> I can't give all the details up. Uh, but it is exciting, and this was a very exciting week, not just for us, Greg. It, it was an exciting week for the children of Israel and what this meant for them. And you've got to remember, I kind of want to set the stage and walk all of our listeners through it and our watchers. Absolutely. Um, but this was an exciting week for them, not just because it was normally a week they would go early to get ready and get to, for this big celebration. They did the Passover, um, but because they believed that Jesus was about to establish his throne and take the world over. So... To lay the groundwork, what's the Passover? For some who may not know, I'll do this quickly. When God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on your doorposts. And he said when the death angel, he was sending a death angel through to judge uh, Egypt for not letting the children of Israel go and for all their sins and all their false gods. And he said, put the blood on your house and the death angel that I send through will pass over you. Hence, we get the word Passover. And what's really cool about that is when they would kill the animal, they didn't know what they were doing, but they would take hyssop, which is a branch that has these leaves, kind of hair-like, it has little hairs on it almost, really. 
and they dipped it in the lamb's blood, and they would strike the top of their door on both sides of the door. So they literally were making a cross. You'd hit the top and go both sides, and the whole sign of the cross thing, blood running down, if you yeah. will, and it literally made a cross on the door. So everywhere that God saw the bloody cross on the door, he crossed over or passed over, and they were able to survive and live, and that's where you get Passover. So God said, I want you to remember this now through all generations, you know, what I did for you. So celebrate the Passover every year. And so now they, and they still do. They celebrate the Passover. It's coming up. The Passover this year starts on the 28th, 27th, 28th, I think the 28th, and goes to April the uh, 4th. And so they celebrate. That'll be their celebration of the Passover. We'll be celebrating Easter. And when there's ends, we have our Easter, which is interesting, falls right on the day of the resurrection, Mm -hmm. them ending their celebration. And so um, that's what they're doing now, and that's how they s- celebrate, remembering the, the Seder meal and the, the lamb and the sacrifice and all the memory of Egypt. Can I just comment on something regarding Absolutely. Passover Absolutely. that I think is just remarkable? Yes. Pastor Mark, 1948, when Israel was brought back together as a nation, Yes. when was the last time that Israel was a nation in that land? Last time they were a nation in the land was 70 A.D., so from 70 A.D. to 1948, right. the traditions of Passover and all of the things that were commanded, yeah. God somehow put it in the hearts of Jews around the world, oh, yeah. disbanded, not together as a country, as a people group, right. and kept those traditions alive oh, and yeah. passed them down. I just think that in and of itself is supernaturally amazing. It is, Greg, and God built it into their very their very uh, culture. They they did it for, long before yeah. that. Ever since they came out of Egypt, they've been celebrating it, and now they celebrate it all the way through and continue. So you just it, think the effect of being in other cultures over the years that somehow maybe that might wane or or be taken away in yeah. some form or fashion. Yeah, but yet they still hang on. It's to amazing. It. It's now, amazing. Again and again, as a people, they did fall away from God, and certainly some probably fell away completely. But as a culture, the majority of the people, even if it was nothing but religion, mm-hmm. they kept it going. They kept that religion going, and they still have it today. Yeah. And again, we talk about the difference in religion and relationship. That's a great example. But so built into their culture that it's just a part of who they are. So there is uh, the Passover. They're about to celebrate it. We, of course, celebrate the resurrection of the Lord because at the end of their Passover week, Jesus resurrected. And so um, what they would do, here's their setup. What they would do is, Greg, they would go, they would travel from all over Israel and really around the world. According to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian in that day. He says that there were over 2 million people that would camp out on the hillside around Jerusalem. Now, if you live there, you had your home. If you didn't live there, you had to find a place to camp. So literally, it became a gigantic campground all over the mountains of Israel around Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Over, I mean, millions of people literally there camping. And they would start showing up typically about you know six to seven days early. And the reason being right. is they would go for their preparation. They had to be prepared for the Passover. So about seven days early, which, of course, is why the Lord was there early and traveled in that day the week before. So they would set up camp or wherever they were staying. And they would get themselves uh, emotionally ready, spiritually ready. They'd get themselves physically ready because they would spend that whole week removing all the leaven from their homes. And again, leaven in Scripture is it's basically bread without yeast, like crackers, best way to describe it. And so they would leaven in Scripture represents evil. It represents things that are evil before God or sin. So they would remove all the leaven. And it was this beautiful picture of get ready for the king. He's Mm. coming. Get ready for the Lord. And they clear all the leaven out. And of course, we have the beautiful sim- symbolism today of us getting rid of all the leaven in our heart. That is all the evil, preparing the way for the Savior to come. And of course, what did John the Baptist say? What was his message? Prepare the way. He's coming, you know, get things right. So there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of pictures going on. John using that yeah. message, it would have resonated. So that was their first week, just getting ready. So th- a picture in your mind now. Millions of people camped on the hillside there all around Jerusalem, everybody coming excitedly to a great national celebration. You know how fun that is. Cookouts everywhere. You'd have smelled cookouts in the camps that have been rejoicing. You'd have had little uprisings. Like when you go to Israel now, you'll see it during the holiday time, uh, different holidays. The little groups will break out in dancing and singing. Then over here, another group breaks out in dancing and singing. I just, in my mind, can picture the Mount of Olives and that whole region. Over there, a little group would just be dancing and singing. Everybody turning to look and smile. Then a group over here dancing and singing. It's almost like a... 
like a a ball game, but better. You know, you people celebrating in different areas and do the wave, and you watch the wave go around. Yeah, uh, I doubt they did the wave around Jerusalem, yeah. but either way, that would have been cool. But the bottom line is, is they were celebrating and rejoicing, and all the outdoor, you know, cooking. The weather was great that time of year, so there was no rain. You didn't have to worry about the misery of that. You smelled all the food, all the people talking, all the fellowship, seeing people you hadn't seen all year until now. You're back at the Passover, just a national celebration. Then on that day, seven days before, they would start the celebration where the priests would go up to the Temple Mount, and, I mean, Temple Mount at the Eastern Gate, and on the um, on the Mount of Olives where you enter down into Jerusalem, and they would stand there and they would proclaim, you know, uh, Psalm twenty four. You'd hear them; they'd be shouting on both ends, you know, "Rise up, ye gates!" You know, the King's coming. All this, so they were announcing the King coming. Everybody's got this festive atmosphere. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, and imagine what happens. They hear the chants, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, which, by the way, they were not only chanting Psalm 24 at the Eastern Gate and there as you enter the Mount of Olives, which talks about the gates receiving the King of Israel, but around the, um, uh, well, the sacrifices were going around the altar inside the Temple Mount, they were chanting Hosanna, Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they're chanting that throughout the day. These guys are chanting that the King's coming, you know, to Jerusalem, and then here he comes. And as he's riding over the hill, he, he passes probably these priests all announcing, open up gates, your king's arriving. And the symbolism, your king was arriving, arriving, but you didn't know it. That's why when Jesus got closer, he began to weep. He said, if you'd only known this your day, your king is here. You're pronouncing it. You're proclaiming it. Everything's ready, but you're not ready. And so then they got done closer and they hear everybody going, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, no doubt these rabbis up here, no doubt the rabbis at the Eastern Gate, no doubt the, no doubt the Sadducees and Pharisees are furious because they hear what's being chanted by the priests inside the temple that was only for the Messiah, mm-hmm. now yeah. being chanted outside for Jesus, who was their Messiah. They come out and try to stop him and remember the whole thing. If they don't say anything, then the rocks, rocks will cry, will cry out. out. Yeah. And we've talked about this. You know, uh, Jesus said not one stone will be left upon another. They've thrown all the rocks off the Temple Mount. And today, uh, in between where you go to the Western Wall where they pray and the Temple Mount, there's these pile of rocks where they pushed them off from the Temple Mount. And when people look at them today, they say, what are these rocks from? That's when the Romans threw them down that Jesus prophesied. So what's cool to me is, although the Jews today are still not acknowledging Jesus as their Messiah, literally, he said, if you don't acknowledge me, the rocks will. Those rocks cry out every day as they walk up to the Western Wall saying, Jesus said this would happen. Here we are. Hello. I see you going to the Western Wall. These are the big stones they pushed up. Jesus said this would happen. And we're just, and they're there and people see him and they know, okay, those are the stones thrown down. Jesus prophesied them and the rocks are crying out that he's the Messiah because they won't. I find it cool. God is even now today keeping his word. Um, So um, he would write in. He goes to the Eastern Gate. The guy's again saying, you know, open up your gates. Here comes your king. He walks inside. Um, the celebration is outside. This is where Palm Sunday comes in. People start grabbing their clothes and throwing them down on the road, kind of like rolling out the red carpet. They start grabbing branches and waving the branches, which was not just something they did at Tabernacles. This was something they did as a sign of national freedom. Waving branches and all saying, we're, we're free before God. So they're declaring their freedom. The Messiah is there. Everyone's chanting. The crowd's growing as he's crossing over the hill because of all the campsites and the millions of people there with all the chants and the noise. And they're just place going crazy. He walks into uh, the Temple Mount through the Eastern Gate. And up to the Temple Mount, everybody's going crazy. They're mad at him. The Sadducees and Pharisees hate him. The people are rejoicing. He walks in, and 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 all the children are praising him, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the you know, son of David. It says the, the lame and the blind are rushing up to him and gathering to him. He's, he's touching them and healing them. So miracles are happening. All these messianic signs are everywhere. And they're still rejecting him. And, and then he goes in, he sees them, remember, selling all the sheep and the goats and the doves, their means of worship. Now, this is key. This doesn't mean it's wrong to have a bookstore at your church. It doesn't mean it's wrong for the church to raise money. That wasn't his point here. The point was this. This was necessary to worship God. You had to have animals. You had to have doves. They had to be sacrificed or you could not approach God and be forgiven of your sins. So they were taking what was necessary to worship God and charging exorbitant fees for it. I mean, if you'd have, if you'd have gone outside of the temple and sold them at a fair price, the Lord wouldn't have been mad because some people would travel from a long distance and rather than bring animals with them, they'd just bring money by the animal there. But they brought the animals up on the temple mount, pre-approved them, priestly pre-approved, if you will, charged exorbitant prices and were taking advantage of the people in what they had to do to worship God. Now you know why he went in there and he started turning over the tables. Throwing the tables, running up, get out of here. You made my father's house a den of thieves. 
It would be like inviting everyone to church here at Calvary Chapel and say nobody in the community had a Bible. Maybe some did. And they came here and said, okay, you can have a Bible to read today, but we're going to charge you $10 per person. Now go out in the sanctuary, give me $10. Here's your Bible, $10. That's the kind of stuff where the Lord comes in and starts smashing tables. You're charging my people to do what I've asked them to do? Uh Uh-uh. Not going to happen. Not in my house. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) so um, he goes in there and turns everything over. Sorry, I keep... Bang, anyway, telling people what's happening, hitting my hand on the mic. It's a new mic for me. I think, so they, I think they know. They, well, the ones on my radio don't. Well, they hear it. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, <laughs> new mic, new positioning, hand uh-huh. going crazy. Old hand, old Anyway, so um, he goes in there, uh, turns everything over. They, they're furious at him for doing it. He leaves, and that's, that's the first day, Palm Sunday, they've ridden in. Now, that's just the beginning of this celebration week. So that's kind of a summation. We're going to cover that in more detail. We're going to talk about the significance of Psalm 24. At the top of the Mount of Olives that the priests were chanting and over at the Eastern Gate, um, as we look, especially with some archaeological discoveries at the Eastern Gate, which we'll talk about on Sunday as well. Um, but that would begin their week. So what they would do is now they would spend, Greg, here's in the Passover, what you would do is you would bring the lamb in a week early. You'd bring everybody came in seven days early, like I said, yeah. six days, really seven days early. And as you camp there, or if you live there, most people camped, you examine that lamb for the next four days. Yeah. And you know that. Yeah. You'd look at the lamb. The kids would play with it. They'd crawl around. Any blemish. And so for four days, if you found any blemish, that lamb was unacceptable. And what they would do, this was another reason the Lord was so upset. Supposedly, the sheep up on the Temple Mount that the priests were selling, you know, at the exorbitant prices, they were pre-approved by the uh, rabbis as yes. having no blemish. So then you'd pay the extra price. But yes, at least it's pre-approved and blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like you're, you can get your loans pre-approved and we'll do your financing right here. But anyway, yeah. so... um they would find a lamb that was acceptable and examine it from all, all sides those four days. It's exciting to realize that because he rode in on Sunday, and that means Sunday to Monday they examined it, Monday to Tuesday they examined it, Tuesday to Wednesday they examined it, and Wednesday to Thursday. So on the fourth day, at that point, it was acceptable for sacrifice, and they would sacrifice the lamb. When you go back and look at what happened over those four days, everybody examined him. You had the priests examining him. You had the Pharisees, Sadducees. The regular people asking him questions and examining him. You had the Roman government with Pilate examining him. Everybody in the house, and I'll put that in quotes, was examining the lamb. And so um, at the end of that, if it was acceptable, you took it for sacrifice, and there was your sacrificial Passover lamb on the day of Passover. Now, what's cool about that, Jesus was examined by everyone. And every single one of them, although the Sadducees and Pharisees wouldn't admit they found no flaw in him, they had nothing to accuse him of. And I guarantee you, if they had something to accuse him of, Greg, they would have accused him. They knew he was innocent. They knew he was spotless. They could get nothing on him. The people couldn't. Uh, none of their, you know, nobody could. Even Pilate said, I've examined him and I find no fault in him. Herod couldn't find any fault in him. Even the government, look, when the government can't find fault in you, you're really doing good. So the bottom line is he passed the test. And then, of course, was sacrificed on Passover, and then um, it would be three days later uh, that they would have the Feast of First Weeks, which yeah. is three days later, and then, of course, you'd go on into before the uh, Pentecost. Now, here's what's even cooler about that. Um, they examined Jesus for those four days, and then he was sacrificed. Now, what that means is if Jesus rode in on Sunday evening— if you go four days from Sunday evening, which is what it requires in Exodus chapter 12 for the examination of the Passover lamb, and they all, they always did this. That was part of their, I still do it today, except they don't do a lamb now, but they are still, they observe these days of cleansing and purity and all that and all the leaven and all that stuff. That means that Jesus would have had his last supper with the disciples on late, what we would call late Wednesday night, but Thursday morning because they go evening, morning are their days. So, Sunday evening really began what, what we, they call Monday morning. We would call it Sunday evening. So we're off a half day on what we call it. Here's the bottom line. Jesus would have had the Last Supper on Wednesday evening, heading into midnight, into the garden, praying into what we'd call Thursday morning, and would still be, for them, that fourth day, Thursday, which would mean he was crucified before the sun went down that same day, which means Jesus was actually crucified on Thursday. And that exactly fits what we would expect. He came in on Sunday. The lamb was to be examined according to Exodus chapter 12 for four days. He would have been crucified on Thursday afternoon. 
And then from and this is what's interesting to me. This is how now I used to wonder when we'd all celebrate Good Friday, right? Yeah. And I don't want to. I'm not trying to you know, throw water on anybody's celebration. You can celebrate whenever you want, but that's not accurate. Good Friday is not accurate. Jesus wasn't crucified on Friday. It's impossible to get Friday and get three days and three nights. You can't even get, you know, he, it says he rose on the third day. So he didn't have to have a complete third day. But the Bible didn't say he had a complete third day. The Bible said he rose on the third day. But you can't even get a partial third day if you start on Friday. You can't get it. It's impossible. So the only scenario that fits means he would have to have been crucified on Thursday. And the really cool thing about that is, That exactly fits what the requirement is in Exodus chapter 12 of examining the lamb for four days. Now we know Jesus rode in on what we call Palm Sunday. He was examined four days. He would have been crucified on Thursday. He was put in the tomb before the sun went down on Thursday, which that evening would have began their Friday. So he was already in the tomb, which means he had evening, morning, evening, morning, evening, and then rose that morning on the third day. And there's where you get your three days and three nights. There's where you get the beautiful fulfillment of the picture of the Passover lamb out of Exodus chapter 12. It fits perfectly. Um, and so it also answers a lot of questions for those of you out there going, why do we, you know, how can we have Friday when you can't get three days and three nights? So where did Friday come up with? Friday didn't come up with the church. Friday, well, not the early church. Friday became a celebration that was brought in by the Catholic church many years later as a traditional date of the crucifixion. But if they had done their homework, if they had read Exodus chapter 12, if they'd realized the requirement was four days into the sacrifice, they would have known. But they obviously didn't do that. I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying they didn't do that. Yeah. And so now we know that when that's why on here uh, this week, as we start our celebrations, we have our Palm Sunday this Sunday. And then Wednesday night, we have what I call our Good Thursday service. And the reason I say that is it starts on the end of Wednesday when we start the service. But when the sun goes down by the Jewish calendar during our service, it becomes Thursday, Thursday, which is the day he was crucified. But it was also the the early, the late night and early morning that he had the last supper with the disciples and then was put in jail that night and got ready to be crucified that next morning. So we, we literally have communion the same night they had the last supper. And we'll have that this Wednesday evening. Then, of course, he was crucified on Thursday. Um, you'll still get off on Friday, even though it's not biblically correct. Don't worry out there. You're going to be fine. That's your good Friday break or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and then you have the three days and three nights in the heart of the earth where the Lord descended to the earth and led captivity captive. That's a whole nother teaching. And then of course, uh, three days later, he rose from the dead. And what's cool about that is, of course, that would mean that on that Sunday was their feast of first weeks. Okay. So Passover would be that Thursday sacrifice the lamb. By the way, Jesus was sacrificed on the timing. The Bible tells us exactly when they would do the national lamb sacrifice. Now, they had over, I think Josephus said that particular year, and he's a Jewish historian that was alive at this time. He said that the year that Christ was crucified, um, there were some 226,000 lambs or so was the estimate that were that were sacrificed for Passover yeah. because there were over 2 million people and one per household. Anyway, it came yeah. up to that number. However, they had on that day a specific lamb that was sacrificed at a specific time that represented the sacrifice for the nation at the time is when it says Jesus was crucified. So he literally was crucified at the time that the Passover lamb for the nation was officially put to death. And again, fulfilling the Passover lamb and from being at the top of Mount Moriah, Greg, and the way the walls were in that day, him up on a cross, we don't know, but it's not impossible that he could have actually seen the priests on the Temple Mount, sacrificing that lamb while he was being lifted up on that cross. So we don't know that, yeah. but either way, it's it's amazing. It's amazing. It is. A uh, question about Josephus real quick, because I was going to ask you this, so I'm glad you brought him up. Right. Does he chronicle anything about the attitude or the position or the mindset of the priests that year? Because they're going through this ritual. At that moment when Jesus is riding in on the donkey— they're probably not making that connection. No, and, and and we know, or we, we can kind of discern from Scripture a little bit, that they had a position of envy, that they saw the people turning to Jesus. They didn't want to lose their power right. over them. Right. This had nothing to do with, you know, a relationship yeah. or anything like that. So I'm just wondering if Josephus provided any insight regarding the attitude of the priests, because they were able to turn the people in a week's time yeah. from participating and celebrating and shouting Hosanna to yeah. crucify. 
No, well, there's nothing that I know of that Josephus says about that. I do know this historically because of what we've discovered, what has been discovered. I wasn't a part of it, but what has been discovered. Uh, we know that the priests were extremely wealthy. We know that they were probably drunks. Uh, we know that it was more of a big party for them. They were partying. They had huge amounts of money. They, right. they weren't recognizing anything. I yeah. mean, they were more, you know, more Bocephus than Josephus. All my <laughs> rowdy friends are coming over. You know? Yes. So um, it was, it was, I don't think they had a clue. I think they, sh- they should have known. Daniel tells us that. They told the exact day. See, this is another exciting thing about the day Jesus wrote in. The book of Daniel tells us the exact day the Messiah would arrive. He told him in a prophecy. He said, when the going forth of the command is given to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we now know the date of that, when Nehemiah was given that command by King Xerxes, or Artaxerxes, he literally gave the number of days. And you can count them. It was 173,880 days. He said in that length of time, and of course they put it in years, but when you break it up into days, it was 173,880 days from the time that Artaxerxes told Nehemiah, go back and build the wall. Well, when you do the math, that comes out to April 6, AD 32, which by the way, Sir Robert Anderson, who has done a great scholarly work on this, and you can buy the book called The Coming Prince, gives you all the breakdown of leap years and all that goes with that. He did the countdown of the 173,880 days, and Josephus says it was April 6, 32 AD that year. Guess what it comes out to? April 6, 32 AD. So what God did is he gave the nation of Israel and the priests the exact day their Messiah would ride in. All they had to be doing was watching their calendar and marking days off, and they could have said, sometime today, if a guy rides in on a donkey and you hear crowds shouting, Hosanna, blessed to see who comes in the name of the Lord, <laughs> yeah. we've got our man. Now, if two of them come in, we've got to figure out which one's the real one. But if only one does it, we've got our man. That's what happened. But they weren't ready. So were they ready? No, they weren't ready. But the Lord was. And again, he rose again the third day. And now because of that, they, he said this. He wept over them. If only you had known. Interesting. Gives a whole new meaning to. If only you had known this your day. The day of your visitation. He literally was speaking of that day. They didn't know it. He resurrected three days later. We know that. And, um, and, and again, it was. This is interesting. 70, in 70 AD, they were wiped out by the Romans, and he predicted they'd be wiped out. All the stones were thrown down. Why? Of the temple, because they had gold in them that had melted from the fire, and they had to push all the stones down to get to the gold. But the story plot thickens even more as we start to wrap it up, because I'm watching the clock here. There was a group that fled in 70 AD down to the area of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which, again, we have some exciting news Sunday to talk about, new Dead Sea Scrolls. And I think some of the message God is telling America and the world right now through that But they were able to go to Masada, which was an ancient fortress of Herod that he put in case of emergency. Well, they got in it, and it was a great fortress. Even they couldn't get in. It took the Romans two years to breach it. I almost dropped my—I had to pick my mouth up off the floor when our guide said one year that Passover 72 AD, they finally breached the walls of Masada. That means exactly 40 years after Jesus said, if you only you'd known this your day, but now you're going to be destroyed. And remember what they were chanting with Jesus, or the people were saying, here's your king, here's your king. They said, he's not our king. Crucify him. Let his blood be on us and our yeah. children. A, a biblical generation, Greg, is 40 years. 40 years to have the blood on their children mm-hmm. from 32 AD is, guess what? 72 AD. And the final Jews were wiped out and destroyed on Masada, 72 AD, on the Passover to the day. The blood that they cried out to be on their children, generationally, literally, was fulfilled. I mean, this is like, you can't make this stuff up. Nobody could do this but God. And so that's the week of Passover. That's what happened. Um, This week, as I said, we're going to be looking Sunday at the Passover, talking about some of these same things, but I've got some great nuggets uh, about some archaeology there at the Eastern Gate, as well as some other details that we'll bring up with these new scrolls that have been found. It's going to be a lot of fun. Then we'll celebrate uh, the Passover, the last meal on Wednesday evening as we start that Thursday morning for Israel to get in them and have the same time they had the Passover meal um, and with his disciples. And then, of course, the resurrection we'll celebrate on Sunday morning. And it's just going to be a great week. It's an exciting week and a lot of fun. And just to think what the Lord has done for us. And again, I, I even, Greg, am more excited when we get to talk about these scrolls and the message of these scrolls they found after 60 years, new Dead Sea Scrolls, because I do believe they're very symbolic. And even as the mm. first time they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, we'll talk on Sunday about how symbolic they were, extremely symbolic, and something fulfilled a year later. I believe these are extremely symbolic, 
And I'm not saying these will will be fulfilled a year later, but the bottom line is, if they are, we're closer to the return of the Lord than we know. So exciting week. Enjoy the Lord. It's exciting Sunday coming up. I hope you have a church that's open. Go to church. If you don't have a church that's open, you're welcome to Calvary Knoxville because we will be here having a blast. Yes, we will. We're going to have a special sunrise service when sunrise is set for that Sunday. Yes. Uh, We invite you to be here and as well as our 930 and 1115 service. And we've got special music uh, from worship. Jamie Jim Goshen will be here from Nashville. It's going to be great. Yep. So it'll be a great time. And all of Pastor Mark's nuggets that he just shared, you'll get those for free. We won't charge extra (laughs) for those. Don't go anywhere. Signs of the Times will continue right after this. WIAMLP 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's Crazy Money Day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with my Money Life from Crown. 35 years ago, the corrupt government of the Philippines was overthrown. First Lady Imelda Marcos and her husband fled. Protesters entered the palace and discovered the First Lady's multi-million dollar wardrobe of designer clothes, handbags, jewelry, and shoes. More than 3,000 pairs. Supposedly, local shoemakers gave Mrs. Marcos 10 pairs of shoes a week. If she liked one, she would order more and sometimes a matching handbag. There's a shoe museum in Mary Kigna, the shoe capital of the Philippines. Nearly 800 pairs of Mrs. Marco's shoes are on exhibit, revealing her opulent lifestyle. Many visitors are appalled. She hoarded luxury while robbing the poor. We can rationalize our lifestyle in a society of indulgence, but it's contrary to what God desires. He wants us to be givers. Why? because giving breaks the control that money has over our lives. It teaches us to be content and grateful. In 1 Timothy 6, we read, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves. May we be doers of the word, not just hearers. We won't be taking shoes with us when God calls us home. Now, indulgence can lead to credit card debt. If you're struggling, I suggest Christian credit counselors. They can create a debt management plan that will work. For more information, call the Crown Helpline at 800-722-1976 or visit online at crown.org slash CCC. A moment of grace with Ed Taylor. So often, when there is that place of struggling and, and you might find a lack of fruit in your life, a, just a lack of joy, a, a lack of obedience, whatever it might be, so many times that really isn't an issue that where you need more information. I can't tell you how many times when somebody's come into my office, sat down after a service, we've talked about the issues in their life, and their response was, oh, I know that, I've heard that before. I know you have, because it's not an issue of information, it's an issue of lordship. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? For more biblical encouragement to help you grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus, visit edtaylor.org. Again, that's edtaylor.org. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor is a presentation of Calvary Aurora. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back, everyone, to... Our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news. These are the signs of the times. I got caught with a lifesaver in my mouth. There you go. Well, it's just timing. It's all timing. Timing is everything. That's right. Timing is everything. Got to do that earlier yeah. in the break. Anyway. I was, drowning. I was drowning once. Somebody threw me one of those. Didn't help me. <laughs> because it was too small. Okay. Uh, anyway, this is episode 162 for those podcasting or watching <laughs> on YouTube or our Way Media Facebook page or later on in the Way Media app. Thanks for joining us. Uh, let's just get right into our articles. Yes. 
Israel365news.com. Yeah. This is dated March 21st, 2021. For the first time in Israel, two public priestly blessings on Passover. Now, on the surface, so? Yeah, but wow. But but why is this significant, Pastor Mark? So, Greg, we are working, they're working so quickly toward having the, the, uh, the, third temple and all the priests back doing everything they did this is just another step the ancient traditions are coming back one of the most impressive gatherings of the year is the birkat kohanim the kohen by the way are the priests the kohanim is plural the twice annual priestly blessing held on the second intermediate days of passover and sukkot when some 40,000 jews come to the kotel which is the western wall in jerusalem to be blessed by hundreds of Kohanim, that is descendants of Aaron the priest. Again, these are, they know they're descendants of Aaron the priest, uh, Greg, because now they can actually do um, uh, genetic testing, and they know from genetic testing these really are the descendants of Aaron, which is really cool because now they can have the actual, you know, you have to have the descendants of Aaron doing the priestly work. Now they can prove that they are. Amazing. I, I love it. Well, the last Passover marked 50 years since the reinstatement of the priestly blessing ceremony. This event took place in a minimal manner with a quorum of 10 priests blessing an equal number of Jews who were all residents of the Jewish quarter of the old city of Jerusalem in accordance with the special regulations for the coronavirus pandemic. As in previous years, the events this year will take place in the presence of the chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Yosef and Rabbi Lau, the rabbi of the Western Wall and the Holy Sites, Rabbi Rabinowitz, as well as the minister for religious affairs, Rabbi Yaakov Avitan, and the mayor of Jerusalem, Mr. Moshe Leon. The blessing is performed, listen to this, the blessing is performed by the Kohanim, male Jews with priestly heritage who have a clear uh patrilineal tradition leading back to Aaron, the high priest, the brother of Moses. The lineage is rigorously protected, and its integrity has been proven in recent years as scientists have discovered a genetic factor common to the Kohanim. Now, here's what's interesting, Greg. Um, You talked about them holding their traditions. They held those traditions, and typically people with the last name Kohen are their Kohanim, their descendants of Aaron. They did that on purpose. They literally changed their last names to Kohen so they could mark them throughout the generations and remember who are the real, the Israel did this early on. We want to make sure we don't lose the priestly line. Brilliant. So uh, when you see somebody with the name Kohen today, they're, they're Kohanim. Now they've tested those that say they're Kohanim, and they are. They have a genetic factor that's uh, agreeable to all of them. So now they can prove they're Kohanim, and it's really exciting. So when they get ready for the third temple, they'll actually have the descendants of Aaron ready to go. I think one of the saddest things to me is when you see uh, people with the last name Kohen that are extremely wicked. Mm. They're very anti-God, yeah. anti-Bible, and very wicked. There's some of them out there, um, and it's very sad to me to see that. Um, especially a lot of this because they're descendants of Aaron and how, what a shame it is. They, they should have the greatest honor in the world. And instead they're, they're covered in shame because they're rejecting their God. But anyway, the reason this article is so important, we've already mentioned, but the bottom line is Greg Israel's getting ready to reinstate the priests, the third temple, the priests are already being trained. The priestly line, the mindset is developing. We talked about last week how Saudi Arabia is saying, we don't care if you have a third temple. I mean, this is happening so fast. And again, I would expect it in the last days, but we are getting the stage ready. When the Antichrist comes on and says, you know what, you can build it. They're going to be ready to go. And the Kohanim will be in place. Very exciting. You know, what's interesting about the Kohanim is that you talked about how tragic it is that they don't have an understanding yeah. or an appreciation for their inheritance. Yeah, they don't. Their lineage. But can we not say the same thing about believers? That sometimes when believers don't understand what they're going to inherit, what they've yeah. already inherited yeah. in Christ, yeah. it, it's that same type of thing. Yeah, it really is. It's not knowing what you have. At least yeah. for the believer, they're saved and don't understand what they have. For the Kohanim, they don't know Christ. Yeah. And so it's a double it's sad double doubly sad doubly sad because not only are they they should have one of the highest positions of honor they don't even know the the god they're supposedly serving and they don't even understand what an honor it is they have. i mean it's just it's sad probably but, why they need need two priestly blessings two for the double sad yeah yeah that could be i could almost give myself not. a rim shot for that but i won't <laughs> okay uh we'd like to 
say this is the See I Told You So segment, but we can't take credit for it. The prophet Ezekiel has done that for us. This is See Ezekiel Told Us So. Uh, This is from JPost.com. Iran, Russia, and Turkey signal a growing alliance. Yeah. Shock, shock, shock. Yeah, and again, exactly what Ezekiel 38 and 39 says will happen. Russia and Iran, and Turkey's going to be one of the big five, you would say, that are in there. Uh, The others... Uh, uh, you know, going to be in there's is, is Sudan and um, um, in ah, my mind went blank. Libya, thank you. Uh, they're yeah. all going to be. That's the big five. There's more than that in there, but these are the main five that are going to be coming in and doing all this. And so Turkey now again, of course, becoming good buddies with Russia and Iran. No surprise here because they're going to be leading the march into uh, Israel when they attack. For years, Turkey would say one thing to Moscow and Tehran while telling Washington's uh, Iran hawks. That Turkey was against Russia and Iran. The Iran Hawks are not a basketball team. That means people that are watching Iran very closely. Um, the trip signals the growing alliance that Turkey and Iran have in the region. Uh, Zaif said, as before, constructive engagement on bilateral and regional issues. Ultimately, uh, their ultimate aim is to apply Iran and Turkey's experience of 400 years of peace to our region. Together, anything is possible. What they're saying is, look, we've been able to get along with these guys for all this time. We're going to continue to do it. We're going to make an alliance with Russia in that. Now we have all three together, and they're going to be together again attacking Israel soon, the Bible says. Meanwhile, Turkish President uh, Erdogan took Russia's side. In a growing spat with the U.S., slamming U.S. President Joe Biden, who is widely hated by Turkey's ruling party. He claimed that Biden recently commented uh, about Russian President Vladimir Putin. And uh, again, he said he was a killer, uh, accused him of murder, which he is. But I couldn't believe that he said that. Uh, He says it was completely unacceptable and not fitting of a president. So we have the president of Turkey rebuking our current president for what he said about the president of Russia, but showing their friendship, their alliance, the fact they're getting along. So, again, just we know it's going to happen, but just amazing to watch it fall into place. The political soap opera of Ezekiel is in and of itself very intriguing. Yes. It really is. Yes. As the Middle East turns. As the Middle East turns. Very good. Old soap opera fans That's will right. get that reference. Okay, this is from Yahoo.com, their finance section. Uh, the Federal Reserve's digital dollar push is worrying Wall Street. Yeah. Yeah, and, and again, why? This is interesting to me, Greg. Uh, let me read it, and then we'll talk about why. Um, the financial services industry braced for what could be the biggest disruption in decades it's about to get an early glimpse of the Federal Reserve's work on a new digital currency. Now, we've been watching this coming for a long time, but what they're saying here is interesting in a lot of that, and I'll, I'll get to that in a moment. Wall Street is not thrilled about it. Banks, credit cards, companies, and digital payment processors are nervously watching the push to create an electronic alternative to the paper bills Americans carry in their wallets, or what some call a digital dollar, or others call a Fed coin. As soon as July, officials at the Federal Reserve Bank in Boston and Massachusetts Institute of Technology, which have been developing prototypes for a digital dollar platform, plan to unveil their research, said James Kunha, and leads the project for Boston Fed. Now, why is this important? The Bible says there will be in the last days with the Antichrist a one world currency. Um, most people have looked toward Bitcoin. And we've seen that go out the roof in its value because it is a digital currency. But, Greg, just today they're talking about those in Bitcoin need to get out because they're saying that Bitcoin is going to drop. Who knows if they're right, but they're saying Bitcoin is going to go under, telling people to get out because it is an unacceptable world currency. And here's why. It is not controllable by a government system. (laughs) It is too independent. You can't control it. And what they're trying to do now with our Fed is say, we're going to start our own Bitcoin called FedCoin. But we're going to make sure the government can control it. Now, here's here's why we know this would probably be a better investment for those of you out there listening. I'm not telling you where to invest. This may go under. It may go broke. Don't listen to me. I'm not an investor. I'm a pastor. But what they're saying is Bitcoin's going to go under. It's going to shift toward things like Fedcoin. Why? Because the Antichrist, well, they say because they're going to control it by a central bank worldwide. But, Greg, that falls right in line with what the Bible says. The Antichrist will control the finances of the world. You cannot buy or sell without the mark. I believe this is probably accurate. I believe you're going to see things like Bitcoin and those go under. I'm not speaking prophecy. I'm just saying I believe this is going to happen. 
I think, and I never knew what the answer would be, but I think this is going to be more the answer, whether it will be FedCoin or something else. I think you're going to see the central banks come out with their own digital system to rival Bitcoin. Bitcoin will slight, will slowly diminish and be gone, and this will become the new digital currency that the Antichrist will rule the world with. Well, the cryptocurrency market is huge in the fact that Bitcoin is just one of many cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin was just the OG, so to speak, in terms of currencies. But what makes cryptocurrencies interesting is that it's based on a decentralized ledger. It requires the community of computers that authenticate the coin, thereby eliminating fraud. And no one has yet to find a fraudulent Bitcoin in the process because of that. So what that means is, is that the Fed is working on a cryptocurrency that has a centralized ledger, but yet can somehow still work in the same world ecosystem that the current cryptocurrencies are working in. I mean, from a technology mathematical standpoint, that's very intriguing, nonetheless prophetic. It is, but Greg, at the same time, I think... What we see prophetically is it's going to shift away from those, although they may do better at that, because what they're trying to do lines up with what we know the Antichrist will do. What they're doing is they're trying to create a centralized system that the governments and or government of the world can control. Uh, The government can control it, whereas you can't do that with these others. So I do believe you're going to see in the long long run is shifting towards some type of system like this. I'm not saying this will be it. But I think it's going to have to for the Antichrist to be able to control it. No, or at least something that the other countries will end up adopting. Yes, absolutely. Or the 10 regions or the 10 toes. There you go. I mean, because all of that eventually has to come together. But all of these things have to be in place before the Antichrist shows up on the scene. That's right. To take all the credit for it. That's right. And uh, get get the keys to the car. There you go. And drive, drive into the tribulation. So. All right, so let's get some weird news this week. I always love these stories because they are so far out. Yes. Uh, this one is from jpost.com. Now, this is interesting. Evidence of UFOs. People have claimed that since we've ever known about UFOs, yeah. that they've got the proof or whatever. Yeah. But everyone's always looking for the proof from our government yeah. that they exist because of Area 51 and yeah. Roswell and all that. So the title of this article is Evidence of UFOs to be Revealed by National Intelligence Through a 2021 U.S. Bill. Yeah. Please explain. And this is getting more intriguing. And, and Greg, there is some legitimacy to this. Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about little green men. But I will (laughs) give you what I believe is some legitimacy to this in just a moment. So bear with me. Okay. Former DNI John Ratcliffe explained that such sightings um, are talking about objects uh, that frankly engage in actions that are difficult to explain. Former Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe gave a preview of a classified information, of, rather of classified information, that will be released to the public regarding unexplained aerial sightings and an interview with Fox News on Friday. Ratcliffe explained that such sightings are talking about objects that have been seen by the Navy or Air Force pilots or have been picked up by satellite imagery that frankly engage in actions that are difficult to explain, movements that are hard to replicate, and traveling at speeds that exceed the sound barrier without a sonic boom. So this is stuff that technology that we don't have. Sensors and satellites across the globe have picked up signals that cannot be explained, and many of these phenomena have been kept from the public. Ratliff claimed intelligence agencies have quieted the information, hoping to publicize the sightings when there are proper explanations that are accessible to understanding um, to the understanding of the public. And I quote, it is truly historical moment when you have the United States government and multiple agencies in the organization coming forward and saying that the videos are not real, but they're truly identified aerial phenomena. Um, not, I'm sorry, not only real. Let me take that back. No, that they're not only real, but are truly identifiable aerial phenomena, said the former head of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, Luis Elizondo, regarding the report's significance when the bill was written. Now, this is huge to me, and I'll tell you why. Um, it wasn't just these guys. Uh, actually, um, it was Marco Rubio who this week came out and said he himself has seen the footage of unidentified objects flying over our Navy bases that no one knows what they are. They're supernatural. They come, they go. He's watching it happen. He's saying, this isn't like Nanu Nanu. This is happening. He's seen it. 
And some of this is going to come out in these reports. Now, what's interesting about that, Greg, is that uh, when you see these reports of what these things are, they almost always say they're like a saucer or a cigar. That seems to be the common explanation. Um, or sometimes they have lights in them, you know, whatever the case might be. Um the most recent one that they released that they shot from a jet, they actually, you can go online and see the video that was released from the, the Pentagon. This thing was flying quietly at excessive amounts of speed and then just took off and disappeared. They couldn't track it. They said, there's no technology we know that does that. And, and at first it looked like that cigar or that, you know, flying saucer from the side. But then at one moment it turned sideways like this and you could see a very clear wheel. It was a circle and then it went back and then it just took off. You can go online and watch that if you guys want to see it. Some of them, are, there's a bunch of weird stuff out there. But go to the official one from the government, uh, from the Pentagon that they released. You'll be able to see the official footage from the, the pilots. Now, why is that intriguing to me? Something's going on. Do I believe it's UFOs and creatures from other planets? It is not creatures from other planets. I believe it's demonic. And for whatever the reason, in the last days, I think God is allowing the demonic realm on rare occasion to manifest themselves. And why do I say it's demonic? The description we get in Ezekiel and other places, revelation of the cherubim, which are the angels that surround the throne. We know that Satan was a cherub um, attached to the side of Satan and all the cherubs, however many there are, we don't know, is a wheel. And it's a wheel within a wheel. It tells us that in Ezekiel. And and if you take a wheel and turn it up sideways while it's flying, it would look like a flying saucer. If it turns, it would look like a, a full wheel. You would see it just like we saw. I believe we're actually seeing some some demons, some demonic activity. I know that sounds radical, but I believe that's what's happening. It lines up perfectly with with the description of the fallen angels, at least some of them, and Satan himself anyway. And um, and it can't be described by natural uh, means, and they describe it without saying supernatural. That's what they're saying. I believe it is supernatural. I think we're going to be seeing more of these demonic manifestations, and I think you're going to see them. Um, I don't know what, how Satan's going to use them, Greg. I don't know. We've talked about the possible rapture theory of they take all the Christians off the earth and the, they, they've come to get us or whatever. But I will say this, I, you know, spending years in Santa Fe, New Mexico, which is a very um, uh, spiritual, uh, non-saved, unsaved, demonic spiritual place. Um, they are just infatuated with flying saucers and UFOs. And they have all kind, even a museum there, UFO museum. There's a lot of sightings in that area. It seems to be connected to areas where there's a lot of uh, uh, demonic spiritual activity among mankind where you see them, which, again, lends itself to demonic activity and goes right in line. That doesn't explain our bases or whatever. But at the same time, it is very, very interesting to me. And I think there's going to be an explanation in that. Well, I also like the description of the cherub where there's a wheel within a wheel. Yeah. Because the wheel within a wheel could lend itself to the explanation of gyroscopic uh, properties that would explain some of the footage or some of the eyewitness accounts of these flying saucers or whatever, flying, stopping, and completely turning in a different direction like that no other technology could possibly exist and we could do today. Greg, when you read the movement of the cherubs, that's exactly how they move. It says they go straight in front of them, and then straight they move in 90-degree angles back and forth. Yeah. It describes that 90-degree move back and forth. They move straight in front of them. They have four faces, Yeah, and the four, they move in direction of each face, whatever they want to go, and they move in a real straight line, real rigid. And you'll see these things. They'll go, and all of a sudden, boom, just to a direction they shoot off. I believe we're seeing the demonic realm. I believe that. And only time will tell, but I think that's what's going on. Yeah. So it's very exciting. And by the way, I know yeah. we have one article, but I have yeah. something else to share before we're done. So well, it's good well, we have time. Folks, you... Tuned in in at the, you tuned in at the right episode because we got right. bonus bonus uh, points. Bonus I got to go back and bonus share coverage. something about this discovery. Okay, uh, this next article is from Popular Mechanics, uh, <laughs> which Popular Mechanics, I guess, has got some good stuff and maybe some weird stuff. Right. Uh, but this article is about uh, asking if immortality is possible. Could the Dyson sphere resurrect? humans yeah i want to touch on this and tell you why i think it was good to leave in for a prophetic signs okay sure because otherwise it makes no sense but the cosmic megastructure may be the key to resurrection and immortality according to this article russian researchers have outlined several ways technological resurrection may be possible in the future including a method called digital immortality restoration based on recordings in this method super intelligent artificial intelligence uses the cosmic dyson sphere megastructure to harness computing energy from the sun. 
Humans can't build a Dyson sphere yet, that is yet, but researchers say that nanorobots could one day do the job. Imagine this, in the far, far future, in a land far, far away, long after you've died, you'll eventually come back to life. So will everyone else who has ever had a hand in the history of human civilization, they say. But in this scenario, returning from the dead is a relatively normal part. The journey home will be a lot weirder than the destination. Here's how it will go down. A megastructure called a Dyson Sphere will provide a super-intelligent uh, artificial agent, uh, AI, with the enormous amounts of power it needs to collect as much historical and personal data about you so it can rebuild your exact digital copy. Once it's finished, you'll live your whole life again in a simulated realty, which doesn't sound fun to me. <laughs> and when the time comes for you to die again, which doesn't sound fun to me, you'll be transported into a simulated afterlife a la Black Mirror's San Juanapero, where you'll get to hang out with your friends and family and favorite celebrities forever. Now, again, this is kind of this Create wild, your own avatar. Yeah, this is weird. But here's the deal. Who knows what kind of technology is going to be in place when the Antichrist is going to rise from the dead? Remember, the Antichrist will, will be put to death somehow. He's going to be possibly assassinated. There's, he's going to be shot. Something's mm. going to happen. He'll go blind in his right eye, his right arm. The world's going to believe that he resurrected from the dead. And he has to do that in order to mimic Jesus Christ and then tell the world, I'm God, follow me. I've resurrected just like he did. Yeah, I see what you're doing. This yeah. could be a possible way they explain it. We will see. I doubt it, but it's interesting that the kind of technology they're talking about could resurrect people because we know he's going to appear to be resurrected. I think it will probably just be a demonic possession where Satan or some demon takes him over and he gets up and that'll resolve it. But this was interesting enough interesting, to get yeah. an honorable mention. So that's yeah. why I mentioned it. Now it's time for bonus coverage. Yes, just real quickly, <laughs> bonus points. I did. I said I was going to talk about it Sunday, but I realize a lot of our listeners won't get there. I want to share with you briefly what I think about these. They found after 60 years. <laughs> you can't help yourself. Well, after 60 years, a couple of Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and um, on the Dead Sea Scrolls, they hadn't found them in like 60 years. They found one out of Zechariah and another fragment out of Nahum. And it's interesting what they say. Back in 1947, when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, they had a message for the world. And I'll give more than this on Sunday, but I'll share some of it now. Message for the world, and, and that is, here's God's Word. Now the world can see it again, and it verified the truth of God's Word, unchanging, 300 years prior to Christ. Then, a year later, Israel gets declared a nation. Mm -hmm. God reestablished His Word in the world, then He reestablished His nation in the world. So there was a real meaning to what He did, and there's a meaning to everything He does. Now suddenly, after 60 years, he has another fragment found from the Dead Sea Scroll area. And once again, one out of Zechariah, one out of Nahum. The one in Zechariah, again, speaks of how we're to live our lives. Uh, and the whole premise behind this chapter is repentance. And I'll read you some of it. He says, these things are the things you shall do. These are the verses they found last uh, a week ago Tuesday. Uh, they found them probably before that, but announced it. Speak each man the truth to his neighbor. Give judgment in your gates, truth, justice, and peace. Notice the judgment and doing the right thing. Let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor, and do not love a false oath, for these are the things I hate, says the Lord. So the first message was a message of repentance. The second message out of Nahum, the other scripture they found, is Nahum chapter 1, which is a chapter on coming judgment in the last days. It says in the verse 5, the mountains quake before the Lord, the hills melt, the earth uh, heaves at his presence. Yes, the world and all who dwell in it. When he comes back in the second coming, he's going to melt the mountains and all this. He's talking about that. He says, who can stand before his indignation and who can uh, endure the fierceness of his anger? His fury is poured out like fire and the rocks are thrown down by him. Here's my point. Like I said, we'll cover this more in detail on Sunday, but... It's interesting, the message, even as God had a purpose for 1947 and 1948, the reestablishment and proof of his word and the nation being established, I believe God is saying to the world, it's time to repent. Zechariah, you need to repent. Let there be judgment in the gates. And then in Nahum, right after that, he says, because God is coming to judge and melt the mountains. And what God is saying is, I'm on my way. You better get ready. And here's why it's a message to the world, Greg. Only God could orchestrate this. There are billions of people in the world, probably the majority of those billions, they never read a Bible or, or, or never mm. would read one. How would God get the whole world or the majority of it to pay attention to his word if nobody's reading the Bible? Take an ancient biblical discovery that wouldn't just appeal to Christians, but all the archaeologists and all the people are going, wow, they found this great discovery. What is it? Oh, it's here out of the Bible. What are the verses? He just spoke to the entire world that won't read their Bibles and forced them to hear his word to say, you need to repent and judgment is coming. I think it's a message from God. Now, in 47 48, it took one year until God carried it out. If it's that quick this time, get ready, guys. The kingdom is upon us. If it's not that quick, only the Lord knows. 
It's still really exciting. The Holy Spirit is giving a message to those who have ears to hear. Let's make sure we have our ears on, our spiritual glasses, and guys, be ready. The Lord is coming again, and we'll celebrate that Sunday. He came the first time. The second time is what we just read about in Nahum. He's coming back again, but this time for judgment to melt the mountains, to take over the world, and only those that have repented are going to be accepted into the kingdom of God. So confess your sins, receive the Lord, and be ready. That's the message. Wow. Some preview of coming attractions this Sunday's uh, Palm Sunday service right here at Calvary Knoxville from Pastor Mark. We do appreciate that, Pastor Mark, and thank you folks for joining us. Don't forget our website at thewaymedia.net, where you can not only listen to previous episodes, you can read the articles that we discuss, uh, you can subscribe to our podcast, and always pass Pastor Mark your prophecy questions or your general Bible questions as well. We always like receiving those. Have a great week, everyone, and we'll see you back here next Friday for a special Good Thursday service for Signs of the Times. existing. But the truth is there are days when you're just satisfied making it through because you're simply existing. You feel like the best you can do is take up space. This isn't the place God made for you. There are moments of awe found even in things that typically leave you yawning. Discover purposes. Deliver praise. There's reason to rejoice today. WIAM 101.1 FM. The Way.